You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. We're back with another episode, and I'm excited. You want to know why, Shotgun? Why are you excited? One. Because we're back to our old format. We're going to have some good stock up, stock down. I'm excited. And also, the date that we're recording this is April 3rd. April 3rd is a pretty cool day, right, Shotgun? That's all right. It's pretty good. Why is it, why is it special, Keely? Uh, I don't know. It's just good. It's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday. Yes, it is Keely's birthday. So we're here working on Keely's birthday. Because that's Fun what we do, guys. Stuff. Because it's still spring practice. We're getting it going on. But April birthdays are the best birthdays, especially right? early April. Yeah. True. April 8th is pretty good, too. Yeah, I like that day, too. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'll be watching National Championship and celebrating or something. Championship. Championship. Here we go. Here we go. But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audioboom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com thanks to everyone who has done that we'll be answering your questions later in the show um but shotgun shall we just dive into it week four of spring camp who do we got stock up i mean i'm gonna start with not an individual person but the offensive synchronicity Ooh. i'm just dropping you know vocab words i had sure. those on my word of the day i think oh, nice. and now actually the offense is just seeing it in the the four weeks you know this is their fourth week of practice with the week off, with it spring break, it takes a little bit of time to get back in the groove at, when they came back that second week. But the last like couple practices, you've seen that the offense, you, they're getting the tempo down. You know, they're just in sync more. And you talk to the players, they agree with that. They feel like you know that, that the offense is is starting to move more effective, more efficiently. Uh, it, it's effective and efficient so far. And the offense has won the last couple of days. They didn't win the last period yesterday uh, on Tuesday's practice, but they. Pretty much one every other you know uh, segment of practice. I thought uh, I, I think the offense is really starting to come on and do do uh, much better than they were early in the spring as they were trying to install that offense. Uh, and, and I think that you know if they continue to grow, this offense has a chance to be really good. Especially when you get some more bodies at the receiver position and stuff where that you are struggling with right now. If you get that offense aligned a little bit more healthy, so that you have some uh, some guys on that second team that you can trust, uh, some things like that. But I think the offense is making some strides, and that's a positive sign for this team because the offense was what struggled last year. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, you missed the beginning parts of spring camp, when, but you heard things about it, and we talked about mm-hmm. it on this show before. When you actually came to practice, did it match up with what you were hearing? I, I think so. I think the the fact that what I've seen is the growth in the team, and I think that's something that I heard. You know, that The people were a little bit excited, like, oh, this looks different. And I, I think that the way they're growing in this offense is different than what they had done before. You know, players are playing, you know, the whole thing is if you keep it simple, then you play faster. Uh, I think that that's what's happening right now. I think they're starting to get the hang of everything and they, they know what they're supposed to be doing. So they're playing faster. They're playing with, with more tempo, but also they're playing faster, uh, you know, just individually you know they're able to to run their routes quicker they're able to get the blocks down those type of things and they're adapting to the di- the differences in this new offense this Graham Harrell doesn't want to call it an air raid but it's an air raid off his version of the air raid offense they're adapting to the differences there the offensive line is adapting to the splits you're doing some different things uh, but I think the offense is starting to get those things down yeah I completely agree I didn't have that on my specific stock up I figured you would cover that but I completely agree um, JT Daniels talked about it on Tuesday he said it's so much different and nicer having an offensive coordinator who has his own system that he's run before successfully and knows how to tell us what to do and how to do it well. And and 
the problem is that comes off like a shot at former offensive coordinators at USC, but I don't I don't think it should be taken that way. I think it just speaks to how what a difference it makes having someone like that. I guess that is a shot, but I, I don't think he made it. He meant it that way. Like in JT a bad Daniels way. takes a lot of shots accidentally. I think uh, when he, he talks, like it, what people will be like, well, how could he say that? And I'm like, what were you talking? And I go back and you know I look at the words on the page, and it's like. Yeah, that sounds a lot worse than what he actually, you know, when he said it, it sounded. He's uh, very blunt. He just speaks very bluntly. Mm-hmm. But I think his tone matters. And you can't always get that if, you don't, if you're not standing there talking with him That's and understanding point. who he is. I think you kind of get that the longer you talk to him. But I think if you just took a line off of a tweet, you're like, oh, okay, that's a shot. But no, I think, and I think that matters. And I asked him, it seems like from uh, standing outside of practice, watching you guys type away, it seems like the offense is more united because you have something to get behind. And he was like, oh, without a doubt. We are we have something that we're excited about. We know what we're doing, and it's easier for us to get involved and to cheer guys on. He's like, you can see us. Like, if we do something well, all of us are hyped up on the sidelines. So I think having Graham there, having someone who comes in and knows what they're doing, has their scheme that they run and know what they're doing, um, and I said know what they're doing a lot, but it's true. He knows what he's doing, and I think that's really helpful. Knows what they want to do, too. It's yeah. kind, of, kind of a grab bag. It's not, well, do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? It's, we're going to do this. Now, it may be pretty simple. You know, There's only a certain number of plays, but they know what they want to do, and I think that was an issue with you know the offense in the past couple of years is that sometimes they're like, you know, Clay Helton said, we want to be a run-first team. But then they didn't. They didn't r- call plays to be a run first team. Yeah. So now that you've changed the offense, you're going to be this air raid. Now I think you know what you want to do. We want to get guys in space. We want to you know create matchups. You know create leverage on defenders. That's the word they use a lot. Um, so I, I think that they know what they want to do, and the fact that the offense is sim- more simplistic will help the players be able to do that as well. I think also when you have a guy coming in from the outside that you don't you haven't spent multiple years with uh, coaching with, he brings a sense of um untouchableness if that makes sense i feel like with promoting t martin as offensive coordinator it left the door open for clay helton or others to kind of pop in and be like hey should we be doing this let's try this you know let's do this whereas with graham it's his system it's his offense yeah sure clay helton can pop in and have some suggestions or whatnot but it seems like this is his offense and you can't really throw in your gumbo stuff into it as well yeah, if you bring people up from lower ranks in coaching or any business, then you have an opportunity to meddle a little bit more. Like, no, this is what you need to be doing. Whereas if you bring in a higher gun, basically, from outside, uh, you know, then if you're bringing in a mercenary, basically, then the mercenary is going to do the things their way. Uh, so that's, that's basically what you're doing. If you, you bring in a CEO from a different company, the CEO is going to run things his way. He's not going to say, well, what, what did you guys do? And let me try to, you know, follow in your lead that way. So I, I think that's part of just grabbing someone from outside of your inner circle of people and you know hiring someone from outside of the the circle of people that Clay Halton knew and I, I think that that's been a bonus for this group because you know there were things that were not good last year there was things that that needed to be corrected that I don't know if they knew exactly what they needed to be corrected or how to go about it and I think that bringing in a new offensive mind you know, basically just you scrap a bunch of stuff that you previously were doing and say, okay, let's do it this way. And his offense has been really good at North Texas. And I think this offense at USC has got a chance to be really good under him. So it's just now, you know, they installed everything and then they installed it again. They installed it again. And it's just getting things down. So it's second nature to the guys, rather, you know, so they're working on reading the defense rather than worrying about which route they're supposed to be running. Yeah. And I think you can just look practically at, at, 
you know, you go to the red zone at Texas last season, a couple offensive linemen didn't know what they were doing. You can't see that happening in this offense where they are running it so much and a thousand times over and over again. Graham Harrell said that he wants them to run a million reps this spring. Um, you're not going to have that type of issue that was kind of common in 2018. So, and you the- also have multiple offensive linemen have talked about the communication is better. Like Tim Drevenel, that's one of the big focuses he's had this spring is to work on communication, and that was the Ohio State game two years ago. You know, the talk about it after the game was, yeah, we had some communication breakdowns. That shouldn't be happening in your 13th game of the season or whatever it was. So I, I think that that's been a focus for them. The penalties have been a focus. The turnovers have been a focus. I think the things that they're focusing on, they're making strides on. And I think that's a positive development there. That was one of the things that I, I thought was most impressive about Steve Sarkeesian when he was at USC. When he would talk about something on a Tuesday practice or say or a Sunday conference call, we've got to get better in this area, they would focus on that in practice, and that one area would get better. Now, if you could do all that in, in fall camp or spring camp, you know, you have a really good team instead of having to make adjustments throughout the season. But I was really impressed by the fact that when they saw something incorrect, they would go and fix it and focus on it and make sure that it was corrected uh, for the next week or you know going forward in the season. Whereas Clay Helton's teams haven't always done that. It's been like, oh, well, that's the same issue that's been going on for the last eight weeks. Not something that just pops up out of nowhere. No, it's, oh, yeah, well, that's something we've seen for, for several weeks now. Oh, the special teams struggled in, in a certain area. Or, you know, they're struggling, you know, having these long droughts on offense. Or the defense can't get off the field when you need them to. You know, things that are just, well, that's a consistent issue for this USC team. Whereas now I think that bringing in Graham Harrell, the offense at least, you're going to address things quicker. I think you're going to, you know, Tim Drevno is really addressing the communication issues there. Clay Helton has addressed the two things that he's really focused on, which is the penalties and the, the turnovers. And they've been better at those things. They've been better at those things throughout the, the spring. So we'll see how it translates in the fall. Obviously, spring and fall are much different. But I think it's a positive development that they are going after the things that were bugaboos previously. That actually sets up a perfect transition into my stock up. I had USC practices stock up. I think, mm-hmm. I, and you know, here on the Family Feud podcast, we have been a pretty heavy criticizers of USC's practices. And the they way call those critics. Oh, criticizing <laughs> criticizers? Yes. Could you hear me pausing? I was like, how do you say that word? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably why I struggled on that. You we've should been... leave that whole portion in. <laughs> probably. So here on the Family Feud podcast, we've been pretty heavy critics of <laughs> USC's practices and the way they practice. And I think that's been something that has been addressed. Now, we'll get to this on agree-disagree. I don't know if I'm grading on the curve here because practices were so bad and I was so disappointed at how they were practicing so i don't know if any change or acknowledgement of of changes that needed to be had are making me like oh okay grading on a curve but i think there's something to be said for having refs at every single practice i I mean it's not cheap i'm sure it's probably costing them a, a pretty penny but Having the refs there is making such a difference clay helton said on saturday in his post practice presser that they've had 200 in 200 plays, I think the last like week or two weeks, they only had uh, two penalties, I believe. I think I think it's done really well for USC. You are seeing less penalties. And the problem was when you brought refs only – in the past, they only brought refs for Saturday practices, for, for, Saturday, yeah. for Saturday quote-unquote scrimmages. And the problem was is that if that's the first time you're introducing refs um, and that the players are going to introduce the refs in a spring camp type atmosphere, they're going to get flagged so much because that's their first interaction. Whereas – now they're used to it they know what they need to do and i don't see we're not seeing flags as much and so props to clay helton that's something that he said he wanted to address this spring camp and i think he got um a little bashed for it 
because we were like, it's not so simple. Like you should be doing that already. But it's something that has been shored up at least in spring camp. Like we said, the big caveat is spring to fall is very different, but one refs like that Two, two full pad practices a week. So right now what they do is Tuesday shoulder pads and shorts and then Thursday and Saturday full pads. And I'm a big fan of that. So I think having two full pad practices a week is good, especially if you're going to have depth issues, they're still working around that and still trying to be competitive. I think that's good. I thought once Talano Hufunga got hurt, it would be like, okay, we tried this, you know, great effort, everyone. We did it. <laughs> the, they're going to shut it down. The whole competitiveness and let's shut it down now. But no, <laughs> they didn't. And I'm glad that they didn't. I also think, and this is kind of an indictment on USC's former practices, but they used to, when they do 11 on 11, they used to do it in, on a portion of the field. You know, during the Sark days, they used to do 11-on-11, go through the whole field from the, like, goal line to goal line. Clay Helton, we didn't really see that. Now we're seeing that come through where they're doing goal line to goal line. You're going to say something snarky. What are you going to say? Well, part of the reason why they didn't go the full field is because the offense would never pick up the first down necessary. True, but no, they would they would have it. They would start at, like, the 40-yard line and then go from there. Gotcha. They're, well, I understand what you're saying, but they also were not able to move the ball consistently enough that where they would start at the 10-yard line and go down the field. Now, the, the way they're doing it now is – you know, that they'll have a third down play every three plays, basically. So they want to, you know, put them in those situations. Um, and if they, you know, if it's third and six, they throw it in completion, they go to the next down. It's first down, you move the ball up 10 yards, whatever. So they are working their way down the field, which I think is good because you put them in the situations they need to be in. Now, you need to still in the fall, you need to have actual competitive periods where, you know, if you don't get the first down, you get off the field. Yeah. Bring in the next group. Uh, so especially when you got four quarterbacks right now competing. Um, so I think that you got to mix and match kind of the, the which which way you go about doing that. Um, I think the thing that we've seen th- that we liked about practice is that it's different. There's are certain differences. Yeah. Now, the practices are pretty much the formats are similar for them throughout the spring, but they are different from previous spring practices, which that was our biggest indictment is when things are going bad, you got to switch something up. You yep. can't just, you know, oh, it's fine. You know, the the uh, the uh, old, the photo of the dog in, in the fire, that, that's fine. This is fine. Oh, and, this is fine. Yeah, exactly. So it, it that's what you have to have is when you see that there's something wrong, make an adjustment. And that's what they've done with what I just talked about with the coaching. You know, the coaches are addressing things that have been issues. So I, I think they're heading in the right direction. You know, I, I think it's late. You could have done this previously. Yeah. But – it is now heading in the right direction. So we'll see as they continue. You know, they've got what four, five, five practices remaining. Do we see anything different in these final five practices? Is the spring showcase gonna? You know, is it gonna be any different uh, than a, a regular practice on a Saturday? I don't think it will. I think it'll just be a regular practice, and yeah. they'll have people there because it'll be at Cromwell, and I so think they can so. put it on TV. And it'll be vanilla just because they're putting it on TV. Oh, super vanilla. Yeah. So, I mean, so how much should we really? And that's where I, I, I'm previewing agree, disagree too much right now. But how much are we grading on a curve? Was it so bad that these changes that should have been there already are like, wow, and it's I that, shouldn't be that excited about it? It's not that it was so bad. It's just that nothing ever changed. That's, that was the issue. Not that the, not that the practice setup itself is a terrible practice setup before. It's just that when things aren't going right, you know, it, you, the whole thing with before the Arizona State game, they played music on the Thursday. Because Chris Hawkins went in, this is two years ago, but Chris Hawkins went in and said, Coach, we need to change something up here. Let's do something different. And they did that. And suddenly, oh, they came out in the Arizona State game and they whooped their tail. Whooped. Whooped their tail. And played Port Augustine unnecessarily way too many plays. Um, so, But they changed something because 
there was some issues there and a player recognized coach. We need some life. We need some energy. And they changed something and you created, create some energy. And it's partly the society we live in with, you know, shorter attention spans that sometimes you have to change stuff up for people to recognize, Oh, this is different and get excited or, you know, just change their, uh, you know, perspective of things. Yeah. We're previewing agree, disagree too much. No, no. Okay. Well, let me move to my stock up. I got Keaton Slovis. You know, we, we talked yeah, just, a, just a little bit about him. Uh, he's he has been throwing the ball with some zip. You know, I, we got some questions. Was it last week about oh, is he going to be the backup? And I was like, There's, no, he's not going to be the backup. The other guys are doing fine too. But this week, I, I think in the last three practices I've seen, he's really he's really caught my eye more and more. Now, just because of the, some of the throws he's making, and he's putting the ball on he's putting the ball on receivers. He's being accurate with the ball, whereas the other two guys that are battling behind JT Daniels, I'm not going to say that there's a battle. JT Daniels is going to be the starting quarterback. Can we just stop with the whole faux quarterback battle? Agree, disagree. Wait okay. for it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, I, I got Keaton Slovis on there because I thought he's been playing really well. You've got him as well, so I'll let you also say your piece. Yeah, no, I think, I think like you said, he's been doing really well. He just has that it factor when you look at you – maybe not catching who's who's the quarterback in, but you see that ball and you're like, ooh, that's pretty good. And you're like, oh, that's Keaton. It's like you, you see a zip in his ball. But but I will say pump the brakes because I feel like oh, some people are, people are like, could he be the starter? It's like, okay, no, he's an early and early freshman. I think the expectations were very low coming in. He was a three-star. Now, I did say go back to the podcast before <laughs> spring break. I said that he has a chip on his shoulder. Kurt Warner has, is his offensive coordinator in high school. He had high praise for him, so I thought that he would do better than people thought, but he still is having pressure mistakes. He's still throwing off his back foot sometimes. He's relying on his arm strength. Um, Graham Harrell had some really interesting things to say about that. He's been telling him mm-hmm. over and over again, you're getting the ball late. Uh, a certain out route, I think. He kept throwing it late, throwing it late. Uh, and, and, and he was completing those passes, though. Yeah, he was getting away with it. That's the thing. But Graham Harrell kept telling him each practices, and then finally it caught up to him on Tuesday where he was picked off. Greg Johnson picked off the ball and he said Graham Harrell said, you know, it's almost good that that happened to Keaton because he needs to learn that. He needs to have that bite him in the butt because that's a, that's a throw that you can make in high school and get away with it. Mm-hmm. But at the college level, you can't really get away with that. So um, it's just interesting and it's interesting. You can also get a peek into how good Graham Harrell is when he talks about things. It's, it's really insightful. Anyway, but pump the brakes, people. Keaton is good. He's not started good. How about that? Yeah, I would go with that. And and also the fact that he missed a week of practice and he's he's bounced True. back and, and done really well there. So I've had him there. Another guy that's bounced back, I will say, is Max Williams. I've been yes. super impressed Good with point. how far hit away or how close he is to participating. I mean, he, he tore his ACL and I believe week two or week zero or one. or It's weird. It was, it was the first game of the season. First game of the season. So it might have been week zero then because for some reason CIF has to have a week zero. They can't just start with one. I don't yeah. know why. That makes any sense. But it, it was either week zero or week one, depending on uh, what which week that Guardian Sarah played. But, you know, to be back on the field and participating in stuff, now he's he's not been cleared for full contact, obviously, uh, but he maybe started to do some 7-on-7, I believe. This week is, is supposed to be the hope, uh, I believe is what we were told. Um, so that is just crazy that he's already back. Now, the whole seven on seven thing is why I also have that question. Why why are you putting him out there in a potential you know to get bumped into the side of his knee or something? Now, I don't see why that's necessary, but I am very excited that he is so far along in his progress. And also Kyle Ford, you know we've seen some videos of him that he's uh, his progress is going well. So great to see those guys. You never want to see guys that are injured and not have an opportunity to participate. Another guy that was previously injured is on my stock up, Stephen Carr. 
because Ooh, I think he is going to be dynamic in this offense because they're going to toss the ball to the running backs. You know, it may be a check down. You know, they're going to have more check downs in this offense than they previously had for the running backs. And it may just be, hey, there's nothing open. Throw it out in the flats to Stephen Carr and let him see what he can do. And Stephen Carr is going to make some guys miss and suddenly he's going to turn in some catches that were two yards behind the line of scrimmage into 12-yard gains or 15-yard gains or, you know, if it's, it's a really good run, then a 60-yard gain. Um, and I think that he's going to just be more dynamic than this. I think he's going to have more lanes to run through with this offense. When when the running backs have room to run, there's usually some pretty big holes to run through. And I think he's just going to excel in this offense. I think he's he's showing signs of the Stephen Carr that we we uh, grew to love before he got to USC. And uh, you know when he first was at USC, the Western Michigan games, the Stanford game, um, the Cal before he got injured uh, with that ankle injury, and he hasn't quite been the same since that first ankle injury. He came back. At the end of of his freshman year, never really was quite the same. We didn't know when exactly the back injury happened for him that that cost him his offseason between his freshman and sophomore years. But it seemed like that sapped his power a little bit, his speed, his burst. But I think it it seems like he's getting back more and more to being that same player that we saw a couple years ago. I think if you're going to include... Stephen Carr for that reasoning as as how he fits in the offense. I think you had to include Vi too, Vi Malapai. I just think that he will be a, a weapon in this offense as well. Yeah, I think both of those guys can catch the ball. I think Marquis Step has shown. You know, even last summer I saw Marquis Step when in some of the you know the the passing stuff that they were doing, and the fact that he, the player run practices and he was able to make some catches out of the backfield. I was like, okay, this is, this is supposed to be a big bulky back, but he's you know showed some good hands out of the backfield as well. You know, and. I think I talked about this previously when I, when I first talked to Mike Jinks and, and he's like, you know, I've never had a running back this big. And he said, when he first walked in, he was like, he was concerned because you know the air raid running backs that he's had before the guys that have excelled at Texas tech under him, the guys he had at Bowling Green, the guys he had in high school uh, in Texas when, when his offense was doing really well, Mike Jinks never had a running back this big. They were all smaller scat back type guys, 5'10, 200 pounds around, you know, that that's kind of the max for them. Whereas, he tried to tell me everybody on this uh, this group is 220 to 225 pounds, whereas Stephen Carr's listed 205, Vi's listed 215, I believe. Now they may be more heavier than that because USC doesn't always update the weights, or, you know, consistently or every week or anything like that. But he was concerned. He's like, these guys are big. I don't know. And then he said, he got out of the first practice, saw the athleticism, and said, "Holy smokes, we can have some fun." Uh, and yeah, we can do some damage is actually what I think he told me uh, with Holy Smokes. The Holy Smokes was just taking me back. Was, Holy Smokes. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, he's excited about that. And I think, you know, these guys, they're going to have some opportunities to, to run the ball. I think there's going to have some some holes to run through, especially if the passing game is working well. And then the, the fact that they can be threats out of the backfield, all three of those guys, I think, can catch the ball and, and make a guy miss or bowl through somebody if you're your marquee step. You know, we've seen him a couple of times. He's made some really nice plays this spring, too, because he's gotten extra opportunities uh, the week that Vi and Stephen Carr were both uh, out with illness. You know, he, he made one play, which was Ooh. incredible. You know, he got hit by two, I think it was two walk-ons, but regardless, he got hit by two guys. He balanced himself on one hand. Uh, and then made two other defenders miss and picked up like 17 extra yards after the first contact. So it was a really nice run. Uh, and he's really he's really had a you know a kind of a breakout spring with the extra opportunities he's had. Yeah, agreed. And he's not even on my stock up. Wow, look at that. Uh, my penultimate stock up is Drake Ooh. Jackson, the early enrollee. I think there's a weird thing with the early enrollees. I think you can tell whether or not they're going to be good in the long run if you kind of forget that they're an early enrollee. You know, you kind of get used to them being in 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 the mix. I kind of felt that way with Cam Smith. 
Um, and I felt that way with Drake Jackson. You kind of forget that this is his first time in the system. This is his, you know, 10th, et cetera, practice with USC. I think he's fitting in pretty well. Um, he looks like he fits out there. He has quick speed off the ball. Um, Clancy Pendergast compared him to Leonard Williams. I think that's always nice when someone gets compared to that. Um, so uh, quick and simple, Drake Jackson, stock up. I think his future is bright at USC. Not only did he compare him to Leonard Williams, though, they also compared him to Rasheem Green at the same time. Oh, well, there you go. So in the same quote, he's like, you know, he's a little bit like Leonard Williams when he was a freshman. And he's like, I think he's a little bit like Rasheem Green. Maybe even a little better. He said a little better footed athlete than Rasheem. So, he's, you know, better footwork than him. But then he also did caveat it, but he's yet to play on Saturdays on a full-time basis. So we'll see True. where, where he goes from here. But yeah, I, I think he's definitely been a guy that's uh, you know earning some extra opportunities and going to earn some playing time if he continues what he's doing now in the fall. Agree. Who else you got for stock up? I'm out. I, I've already went through mine. Oh, wow. Mine were all injured guys that have come back. <laughs> My final stock up is USC's coaching staff. I thought... Coming into this spring camp, I was a little skeptical. On paper, it was like, okay, did USC really make changes that they needed to in regards to the whole coaching staff? Did this seem like it was put together kind of last minute and, you know, making a a mismatch of of things? But I I like this coaching staff so far and from what we've seen in in spring camp. You know, we talked extensively about Graham Harrell. He's as advertised so far. Chad K, I've been really impressed talking to him. Um, he's super passionate about the D-line. He's super passionate about the players he's inherited. Uh, he studied their film before spring camp started. First thing he told them was, JT Fele, Marlon Tuipolotu, and Brandon Peely, you guys need to lose weight. Like, you're too big. And he said, these guys are skilled enough. They can lose the weight. And I think you're seeing that in the difference in their speed off the ball. You're seeing those guys faster. Clancy Pendergast said that it makes a difference. And the big thing that they're trying to do is get into the backfield, shed their blocks, and and make a difference and put pressure on the quarterbacks, which is something that USC had the pieces to do in 2018 but never really did on a consistent basis. Um, so Chad K, impressed with him. Greg Burns, uh, we were already impressed with him before spring camp, just in the way that he picked up ground so fast in recruiting. Um, but we see him up close and personal from the media pen. I've been really impressed with what he expects out of his DBs, how he communicates to them. And he's not afraid to get a little mean. you know. And I think that's... Sometimes a good thing, especially with when you have this age range of teenage guys, sometimes they need a little little smacking around. And the DBs are usually the more vocal trash talkers, so not literal smacking around. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. No. <laughs> Even though I made smacking around noises. No, just a little little tough love. Little, you know. Um so Greg Burns impressed with him. And Mike Jinx. I thought he would be more on the reserve side. He can yell. The running backs and linebackers did pass blocking drills. And Marquis Step was not getting it done first round of the the drills. And Mike Jinks let him hear it. It was intense. Mike Jinks has also yelled at JT a lot. He's yelled at the quarterbacks. So I like that you need some fire. And and you need some fire from the coaching staff on the offensive side. You know, we kind of have seen that on the defensive side. But I like having a guy who's going to call people out no matter what their position is. um, And shoot guys out. Sometimes you need it. So... I don't know why I'm advocating tough love so much right now, but I think it's a good thing. Well, the team was soft, according to Arizona State sideline. True. So maybe they need some more tough love to toughen them up. I think previously you had a lot of players, coaches on the offensive side. You know, Clay Helton's a very personal players type of coach. T. Martin, super players coach. Guys really got along with him, and you didn't see him as fiery. So sometimes you need that. You need that. You need to have a balance. On any yeah. coaching staff, especially a football coaching staff, 
even if college baseball, it's the same thing. College baseball, there's four coaches. You know, there's assistant, there's two paid. I mean, there's two paid assistants, a volunteer assistant, and the head coach. Same thing goes on there. Same thing with you need the dynamic where you need a guy that can yell at them. Yeah. Because again, they're 18 to 22 year old kids. Any college kid, you, you get, you're maturing. You know, you go through an emotional, it's an emotional time period for, for kids uh, to, to grow up and to become the person they become. So, you know, you'd be a lot different 10 years after you're 22. You look back and you go, yeah, was, I'm a much different person than I was that, at that time because you're still growing. You're still maturing mentally, physically, both of those. So I think that with 18 to 22 year olds, they're going to make some mistakes, but you got to be on them and you have to show them tough love at times. You have to show them, you, know, you have to show compassion at other times. You need the balance though. You can't just have a staff. Everybody, Oh, there's, it's okay. It'll be fine. You can't have a whole staff of, you know, a bear Bryant's on, on yeah. people. You need someone, you know, just remember the Titan style, you know, when Petey gets upset because he, he doesn't take coaching well from someone who yells at him, you need someone that can just coach him up, you know, without the yelling at the same time. Um, and I was just talking with a coach. It was a baseball coach, but recently listened to them talk about a player. And they were like, you know, he's talking with, with someone that knew the kid. And they said, well, you know, how does he kind of take coaching? He's like, he takes coaching great as long as you don't yell at him. If you yell at him, he just shuts down. Like he takes offense to it and the player will sh- that individual player will shut down. But if you coach him, he's fine with tough love. He's t- fine with you coming over and saying, if you do this again, you'll get pulled out. But if you're just yelling at him, he doesn't, it doesn't take it well. And that's just, you have to master the personalities of your players and to have a balance of that on a staff is such a great thing because then, you know, if, if uh, Mike Jinx is the yeller and you know, his favorite color in the South is yeller. <laughs> Well then, saving that one for a minute. But you know, if if he's the yeller and uh, you know, and Graham Harrell's the guy that can smooth it over, then you you and they're standing side by side. Well, one guy's going to go talk to this certain player, another guy's going to talk to this certain player. Now they may need to be yelled at at times, but if you have someone else there that can you know uh, can smooth it over afterwards, then it, it just makes it makes your team dynamic that much better. Whereas the players know, well, I can go talk to this coach if I need to. And, you know, and I can still respect this other coach that was yelling at me, but this, this coach will explain it in better, you know, for me and better. Whereas some other guys need to be yelled at and that's how they get motivated. So it, you just have to have that balance on the, on the staff. And I think this staff has a much better balance than the previous one did. Yeah, I would completely agree. An added bonus to that balance is that it reinforces that there are expectations and those expectations need to be met. And there are consequences if they're not met to the yelling, but also to, if you make, if you have a penalty, you're going to be pulled out and you're going to do up downs. Like those are expectations. And I think that was missing at times where, you know, Hey, if we mess up, let's laugh on the sideline. It's, it's cool. It doesn't really matter where I think that's a great point. And, and you, you looked at, I'm trying to think of who it was, but Greg Burns sent one player down to the other end and said, you're not getting it done. Run to the other end and come back. And that was just like the player didn't know what to do. They're like, "Is he being serious, or do I go?" Or not? And he's like, "No, get get on your tail and go now. You run down the other end, come back." And you know, maybe that's just to clear the player's head or whatever it may be. Maybe it's a punishment, you know, because you have to do some running. But I think it's just the difference. And I think the players are still getting used to this coaching staff and you know how the personalities meld together and different things too. But I, I think it's it's good to have those differing personalities than you had last year. Especially when when things are bad. Uh, I've said it before. If you go five and seven in school like USC, it's fireball offense. So you got to make changes. If last year your personalities 
got you five and seven, then you better have some different personalities to, to try to pull you out of that that funk that you were in last year. So I think it's again, I think it's stuff that's heading in the right direction. Don't want to be too excited yet. Yep. And again, we'll get to it in stock ups. I mean, and uh, well, agree, disagree, whichever one you want to keep not previewing. Uh, but I, I think it's just there's things that this team is different, and I think those are positive things for this group. You go five and seven, you got to change stuff. Agree. Agree. Shall we move on? Stock down. Oh, no, no, Mr. Stock down. No, 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 no. We have some stock neutral. We have. There is no we here. Yes. There is no such thing as stock neutral. There is. No, there it's is. not. Oh it's God. back, guys. Better than ever. Hashtag oh, stock neutral nation. We out there. Uh, my one It's a really long hashtag, too. Hey, people yelled at me at game, so it's a thing. <laughs> So Cut I have one stock neutral. I had another one that I thought of during stock up, but I forgot it. Uh, my stock <laughs> neutral is, oh, I do. I remember. My stock neutral is Devin Williams. I'm currently face palming for yeah, everyone face-palming that cannot see hard this. hard right now. Uh, Devin Williams, I think, is the perfect example of a stock neutral. He has great potential. He 6'4", has a great potential to be a weapon in this offense. I just think he's been inconsistent. He was inconsistent in high school. He still is inconsistent now. I think maybe it's a mental thing. But I think he has the potential to be great and to be a great receiver in this offense. But sometimes sometimes he brings it and sometimes he doesn't. So whether or not he can be consistent, get over that hump of inconsistency uh, is a TBD, if you will. So you're saying he's the same as he was two years ago in high school. So you're saying it's unchanged. So it's stock neutral. So it's stock unchanged. The stock, stock has not moved. It can't be neutral. It either neutral. goes up or down. Neutral. It's like you've See, never been around the stock market before. Here's, here's the thing. His stock will go up one day, and then it will go down another day. Thus, he's where he started before the stock went up. Neutral, neutral, no, neutral. No, Moving on. That's not how it works. Stock down. Who you got? Stock down. I'm going to go with Jack Sears. I think that he, his ball, has his touch has not been there this spring, especially this past week and a half, I would say. He's throwing some balls high. He's throwing some balls low. He just has not been consistent. I don't know if he's putting extra pressure on himself or what exactly it is, but he just hasn't been as consistent as he was last year. You know, when you know you have the opportunity to be a new offense coordinator comes in, you're trying to impress him. Maybe he's trying to do too much, but his ball placement has not been very good this spring compared to where it was last year. Yeah, I think there's definitely a mental aspect to Jack Sears because he'd we've seen him do this before where it'll be a week of practice. He'll look good on Tuesday. He'll look good, good on Thursday. And and then if there's a big crowd on Saturday, it's just not a good day for him. You know, which is strange because he he plays really well when it comes to actual game time. Yeah, he did that at San Clemente too. Like he played really well in games. It's not like the the bigger the game was, you know, he shut down or anything. But which is kind of strange that in practices it, it has kind of gone by that pattern where he hasn't excelled in the scrimmages even when he's had really good weeks of practice leading up to it. Yeah, which is just, I feel like it's just hard because you want it, you almost want to give him credit for those good practices. But then when you come to Saturday and you had that kind of myth performance, it's like you can't be that inconsistent to be a starter. You yeah. know, it's just it's you just can't. So it's it's unfortunate for for Jack. I mean, to win a starting job, you got to be better than the other guys. And JT's been more consistent. I don't think JT's been great this spring. I think JT's been good. Um, I thought he was better in the fall last year. I mean, as far as, you know, he was just dynamite, you know, in the fall connecting with Amon Ross St. Brown. But I think that's partly putting in this new offense and, and you know, trying to, all the quarterbacks are trying to f- get their bearings and, and find out exactly what they're doing. Um, but I think Jack Sears is stocks down right now. But I think he's a guy that in four, five practices, four practices to end the spring, Five practice, excuse me, that he could definitely take a big step forward because he's got the talent. Um, but we'll see what he does these next five. I've got linebackers as well. 
Interesting. Okay. This whole moving everybody around. You got Jordan Iasefa moving inside. You got Giuliano Falanico moving inside. You got John Houston flipping. Palier Antiote flipping. Like all these guys just moving around to different spots. I don't think that it's produced better results yet. Now maybe that's just because it's a uh, you know a trial period and you're trying to get used to the new things. But it just it seemed like it's, it was an unnecessary move to an extent. So I've got them on stock down right now. I don't think the linebackers have excelled, and I thought this group, and part of it is Solomon Tulia Pupu has, has been injured. He's been out. Uh, you, you haven't seen guys coming off the edge get a lot of pressure that maybe we expected, like Kanai Malga. I haven't really seen him in the backfield because he's playing inside now. Um, you know, I think that it's just a different defense now because you're not having that true predator position. Now, I think some of the guys coming off the edge have done okay. I think Abdul Malik McClain has gotten in the backfield a couple times. Uh, Hunter Eccles, I think, has been really good getting in the backfield. But that linebacker group, you know, I think those guys are more, I call them edge defenders more because they're pass rushers. Versus those linebackers, those guys that are, are going to be dropping more, those the middle linebackers. I just don't think that group has really excelled so far this spring. We're on the same wavelength because that's also an agree-disagree. I sent you the rundown, but it's cool. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I, I already had... wrote my answers down before I got True. the rundown. I said stock down on depth. Um, wide receiver. It's ta- we've talked about a lot the, the defensive backs and how that depth is an issue. I think under the radar, wide receivers. That's a big issue as well. Um, Graham Harrell joked on Tuesday that they're essentially killing the wide receivers when they actually go full speed and full tempo. Uh, he said normally in this offense he likes to have 14 to 18 wide receivers. They have seven right now. That's including walk-ons as well. So it's a pretty thin group. Um, and tight ends as well. Is The depth is pretty short on that. Uh, you have uh, Josh Follow is in a non-contact jersey currently. Josh Follow non-contact jersey. Jude Wolf has been out for a good mm-hmm. bit. Jude Wolf, if not he, that's the stock neutral I was thinking about. He's kind of stock neutral. I thought he's done a great job of meshing into this ring. I thought he looked like a good uh, contender for starter at tight end. Um, but right now, you really have Eric Cromanhook as the the a full healthy tight end, which is one. Um, which is not good. And at one point, the running backs were an issue at death, too. When you had Stephen Carr and Vivian Malpei taken out with the flu, you really had just Marquis Step. And granted, that's a good thing for Marquis Step to get that that spotlight and get those a lot of those reps. But you just wish that USC had more more depth at their skill position. So it's it's interesting to see that ha- happening. Just because you wonder, are they adapting and surviving? How much can they actually learn and grow as position groups if there's guys missing and they're trying just to keep up with the amount of reps that they have to do? So. Yeah, and, and I think, I, let's give a little bit of credit to Jack Webster. I think he's been really good as a walk-on receiver yeah. getting in there and, and getting some op- extra opportunities. He's you know he's a guy that might get some opportunities during the season, depending on the guys that come in in the fall and you know how much you know they can learn the offense as quickly as Webster has because he's looked really good. So now part of it is... It's basically like four on four wide receivers and true, you know, starter type wide receivers versus true starter type defensive backs right now. You got a lot of young guys uh, that that are in there. You've got a couple of guys that have experience, and you know, it's basically the the one on ones have been Michael Pittman and Isaac Taylor Stewart going at each other. You've seen uh, Tyler Vaughns and Greg Johnson going at each other a little bit. Those are your best real matchups because you've got so few people out there consistently that have been healthy. So yeah, that's been an issue. I think it's also an issue. I've got stock down the second string offensive line. Now, part of it is you've got some issue, you've got some guys not in there. Clayton Bradley, we haven't seen Bernard Shermer. Uh, you know, some guys that, that we thought might 
could compete for those open spots because you have those three open spots, but it's been pretty consistent. You've got Austin Jackson left left uh, tackle, left guard. You got Elijah Vera Tucker, Brett Nelon has been at center, right guard. You've got uh, Andrew Voorhees and right tackle has been Jalen McKenzie. There hasn't been a lot of switching guys in and out, and that second string offensive line has is, is not been very good. Um, you know the, the quarterbacks. We even I think you were the one that said it earlier this week. Yeah, I, I actually had USC's offensive line on my stock down as well, just okay. because the drop off, the talent gap between the first team offensive line and the second team is just it's too noticeable. In the sense that what you were saying that I alluded to was each quarterback gets paired with a different offensive line each practice. And their performance varies greatly between which offensive line they're paired with. You know, they don't, sometimes they don't even have a, a fair chance to get the ball off. Um, if you're with the second team aligned and, and that's just not good. I mean, if, if you look at the second team offensive line, you have on one side, it's Liam Douglas and Liam Dimmons. And both of those guys are ex- very inexperienced at playing on the offensive line and whether or not that's their fault or not, but that brings down the second team offensive line. And so I just think if you have, if you're going to do this rotation thing with the quarterbacks where you're going to put them with different offensive lines, you're not giving them a fair shot to really see what they can do each day. It's basically like, okay, who's, who has the upper hand now with off with the first team offensive line on this day and whatnot. So I just think that's it's just not a good sign for USC to have that big of a talent gap. Yeah, you basically have no experience on the se- on the second line. Uh, you know, Jacob Daniel and Liam Jimmins have some defensive line experience. <laughs> yeah, but offensive line experience. I mean, Justin Dietrich had a couple plays as an extra as a extra lineman yeah, as a Thor back. Yeah, yeah. And the Thor back that's about it. Because at left tackle, you got Frank Martin, who's not played a down. You got Liam uh, Jimmins, who's never played a down of offense. You got Liam Douglas, who's never played a down of offense. Uh, I can't remember if Jacob Daniels played any offense. I think he's played a couple of snaps, uh, if I remember correctly. But he's the only one. And they just don't have any other bodies there. I mean, that's part of the thing that you know. there's been some attrition at that position uh, in the past with the, the medical retirements and stuff. And when you lose three seniors, you're obviously going to have some – you expected to have some open competition, but it just really hasn't been there because the guys that you think would compete – have the best chance to compete, Clayton Bradley and Bernard Shermer – those guys haven't been practicing at all. So uh, I, I think the offensive line has, has been a struggle after the first group. I think the first group is getting better and better as, as the spring progresses. And I talked to a little bit about with those guys as well uh, the last couple of days. And, you know, they're just getting more and more used to the offense as well. And the, the wider splits is one of the biggest differences and how you get to your, you know, your combo blocks and different things there. So they're getting used to those type of things. But I, it, like you said, there's a big drop off and it's affecting the quarterback play because you, how are you getting a true read on the quarterbacks? If, if uh, Keaton Slovis gets to go with the first team and then Jack Sears gets to go with the second team, you can't compare though. It's apples to oranges, not apples to apples there. So I, I think it's a, it's harder to compare and contrast there, which is why they're rotating the quarterbacks with each group. So if you see a guy that excels with the second team, that's when you, that's when it catches your eye, really. Yeah, for sure. And an unintended consequence of that of that second team offensive line is that you don't have real competitions. That was my other stock down for USC's offensive line is that there's no real competitions in the sense that you don't have a guy pushing Austin, Austin Jackson for that job at left tackle. You don't have someone really, you know, vying for the job where each first team guy is really going to give their a game every day because they know someone's on their heels. You know, it's kind of settled right now. You're not seeing a lot of rotation on the line. So I think that's a stock down. And I also had stock down for USC center competition. I thought there was going to be much more of a competition this spring. Um, I thought we saw in fall camp and during fall 
uh, good stuff from from Brett Nealon and Justin Didis together. I think Brett, Brett Nealon has really established himself as the first team center. I think uh, Justin Didis has been a little inconsistent as far as his snapping placement. And Tim Dremno, for his credit, is paying real close attention to where the snaps are going this spring. But I thought there would be more competition there. I thought Justin Didis would... He's a fiery guy. He has that, that fieriness that I think would benefit USC's offensive line, but he hasn't really shown enough to get... Um, the significant reps on the on the first team line. It's really been Brett Nealon this whole way. So stock time for that. I would agree with that. I think that's a, a fair assessment there because I think Brett Nealon has pretty much established himself as a starter there, and there hasn't been a competition at all. Yeah, agreed. I'm done with stock down. I am too. Does that mean we get to move on? Moving on. Heard it on the sideline. What do you have? Uh, I, I think the offensive install philosophy. That's what I've gotten written down on my thing here. Talking with, with JT Daniels about how they install the offense. They said, well, we, we install the offense week one. Then week two, we install the offense again. And then week three, we install the offense again. And week four, we're installing the So it's just basically been the same thing over and over so they can get it down. It's not like, hey, we're going to give you five plays the first week, and then we'll add five more the second week. We'll add five more the third week. And you know, you're know, you not just keeping adding on to things And you know, as you get accustomed to some things. They put everything in. Now it's not a ton of stuff. They put everything in and they repeated it over and over again. So I thought that was really interesting that, that he would say that. And, you know, the fact that none of the players really believe when, when uh, Graham Harrell was like, hey, we're going to run this many plays and that's going to be it. Yeah, okay. And then JT Daniels said, when he says we're going to run the same stuff over and over and over again, he's going to run the same stuff over and over and over again. He said there was a period we ran the same play five times in a row. We completed the same route five times in a row. If it's working, it's working. And I think that's what's going to happen with this offense. If an, if a defense gives them the same thing over and over, they're going to take it. Now that someone asked last week, I think it was during the live show, is are we going to see tunnel screens over and over? Well, if a defense gives it to you, yes, this is the type of offense where you will see the same play run 15 times in a game if it's working. Now, hopefully, it's not USC versus Washington State. Ten was a 10-7 game where USC tried bubble screens over and over, but couldn't complete them because they didn't block them. Now, the, those I went back and watched the tape on that. The bubble screens were there if they would just block somebody. That game was all about USC's failed blocking attempts rather than, you know, th- they shouldn't call the bubble screen ever when people hate Lane Kiffin's bubble screens. But um, so, yes, that it's they're going to see you're going to see the same play over and over. And like, Why are we on the same? Well, is it picking up eight yards? And yeah, you run it over and over. Um, I heard it was um, <laughs> CJ Pollard is out for this spring. But I think he's been a real interesting glue guy for the defense. He's been very uh, encouraging, yelling, yelling a lot of the offense. Specifically in Tuesday's practice, it seemed like Amon Raw was having a little bit of off day. You know, he was getting defended pretty well. CJ Pollard was letting him letting him hear it. CJ said something to the effect of, Amon is not really going to have days like this a lot, so let's take advantage of like getting into his head. <laughs> Which I think speaks to Amon Ra himself, where he's just a professional out there. He's going to have great days every practice. Uh, we talked to him after practice on Tuesday, and he said after every practice, he catches 200 passes off of the jugs machines. And he was like, yeah, I average around like three drops a session, which is just crazy in itself. But he's been doing that for years. He said that his his dad bought his three brothers a jugs machine when he was in like fifth or sixth grade. He was the only kid who had it. And so they were just doing the jugs machine every single day. Um, and you can see how much that level of of dedication and intensity to the craft if you will has paid off i think he he's just 
a, a technician out there. Yeah, he's. I could have put him on stock up too. He's been a dynamic receiver this spring. I actually put on Tuesday. I tweeted that he had a relatively quiet day compared to the rest of his spring because he he did you know he didn't have as many big plays as he had. He's had basically like two big plays every practice that I've seen. My last one is John Houston. I think he's been he's always talked in the past couple of years about how he wants to be more of a leader on the field, more vocal, and he's just very quiet, very reserved. But I think he's taking that um and and more in stride this year and this spring. I'm hearing him a lot. I'm hearing him yell a lot. So much so that yesterday he he screamed really loud. I didn't know that was him. And then I turned to you and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's Houston. Like he just has more of a presence, whether or not that translates into where he should be on the field as a middle linebacker. Maybe that shouldn't be a thing. But I think as far as leadership goes, um, he's been more vocal. And I think for him, that's a big challenge. And I think that he's working on it. And it's commendable. I think the fact that he is the middle linebacker forces him into that. As well, Because yes. you have to yell and make the calls. I think you just kind of get used to yelling at people. And then that helps towards your leadership. So maybe that's something that... Maybe that's part of this whole experiment of move flipping him and Pallier Naitiote. Um, so I, I don't know. Let's just go straight to agree or disagree because since we got that on there. Sure. I agree, disagree. EA and John Houston switching is better for the defense in the long run. In the short term, it has not been. So, But it's a trial period and they're trying to get used to the different positions. I don't think it's that big of a difference. I just think it's depending on who's making the calls versus now do I know – who has better knowledge, you know, Pallier and ITOT or John Houston? Who is a more knowledgeable linebacker? No, I don't. I, I can't give them a test and, and say, you know, this guy's more knowledgeable. EA is more physical. Pallier and ITOT is a more physical guy. You know, I think he can shed blocks better, but then the, he also, you know, both of them run side to side really well. So the, the question becomes which spot really fits their personalities and their skill sets more. I think by John Houston being in the middle linebacker making the calls, I think it's forcing him to be more of a leader, which I think is a positive. Um, and I think that you can eventually switch them if you need to. It, they could eventually even be interchangeable. You know, they make the calls combined. I don't, it, there's things you could do with this where if they're on the same page, then you could have them where they don't flip versus – you know, they don't move sides based on the offense. You know, they don't go to the strength side, um, but they just line up in their spots and they go with it. There's some different things you could do with this. So I don't think it's a bad thing switching them because you can still switch them back. And I think if they both, if they know both positions, I think that's a positive. You know, there's a lot of things in there that I'm okay with. Uh, it's just a, it's a weird situation to me that they move so many linebackers at the same time. Yeah. I agree. Do you think there's a weird advantage to having a middle linebacker like John Houston who can make the lateral movement as Houston does? It, it just depends on the, the the offenses you're going against. Like Cam Smith was really good at just knowing where the offense was going all the time. He's not the biggest, not the fastest, not the strongest. None of those things, but he's super smart and he knows exactly where the play is going. He can read the blocks really well and he does really well with that. John Houston too often gets caught in the trash and he gets washed away with the blockers at times. Um, but he's done better at that in the last year and a half, uh, in particular, of, of being able to shed guys or just not getting what they call getting caught in the trash. Like Leonard Williams was amazing and never getting caught in the trash. Whereas someone's fallen down, you know, beside you, you know, the defensive tackle falls down beside you trying to get a block, and the offensive lineman's on top of him. Leonard Williams would like leap over those guys and still go make a play. 
You know, it's just like you don't the stuff that's around you doesn't bother you. And and I think at times John Houston can that can affect him, but EA also would get out of place too often last year when he was trying to he'd be too aggressive and get out of place where John Houston doesn't do that. So it's kind of you know, you're just trying to figure out which skill set works best at each position. And I think Giving them a trial now, I don't think is a bad thing. I think you can try them here, and if you don't like it, you can move them back to the positions they were last year at the same time. Whereas, I mean, EA played Will mostly last year, so it's not like he's changing much. So there's just a lot of question marks, and I don't know exactly what they're looking for in each of those spots. That's that's part of the problem. What exactly are they looking for? What do they want from each of those players? Yeah, good point. Going to our second agree-disagree, I have JT Daniels will eventually be named the starter. Yes. So then, let me expand that. Are they wasting time by having this rotation thing for this whole spring camp? No, because I think you want to know where the other three guys are, too. Yeah. By rotating them with the first team, by rotating them with the second team, you know, and I think it tells you more about JT, too, because... I used to say all the time that I the best NFL quarterbacks were the quarterbacks that got pressured a ton in college. Like Matthew Stafford at Georgia, Georgia's offense line was not very good. He would get pressured all the time. So he got used to throwing quickly, making quicker decisions. You you know, t- guys that come from smaller schools like Tony Roma or something, like you're used to like they're being pressure in your face a lot and you can make quicker decisions and, and stuff like that. So I don't think it's bad that a, a starter goes with the second team offensive line, the offensive line is struggling. That let, you're learning this offense and you learn, okay, well, they bring this extra pressure. I need to know where my hot read is immediately and you do different things with that. So I don't think it's bad that they're continuing. I don't think you need to have that specific great chemistry in spring. It doesn't really matter. Spring practice. I think you need to try people and put people in different situations to learn about them more than saying, okay, well, this guy's got to play beside this guy so that he knows exactly you know, what he does every single play. you got a whole month in the fall to do that as well. And JT knows all these guys, and they throw all the time and stuff, so it's, I don't think it's like, well, he needs to learn this particular receiver's routes. Well, there's only so many receivers, so they have to go with the first team and the second team. So I don't, I don't think there's a huge uh, – I don't think you're losing a lot by having him go in with the second team and stuff. I don't think you're losing a lot by having the other guys go with the first team and seeing what they can do as well. Yeah, I would agree. Also, there's the drills they do for the first like 30 minutes of practice. It's just a lot of guys running through. So you're throwing to a lot of people. It's not like before we're in fall camp, they only threw to a specific amount of receivers. The only thing, though, is that if they're going to fool around in fall camp and not name the starter immediately, then I have an issue with that. I think if you if you do this, if you have this spring where everyone's getting up to speed, everyone's rotating through, that's fine. But when it comes to fall camp, it's game on. Let's get, get the starter and get it going. Yeah? I'll yeah. be fine with that. Agree, disagree, number three. Taking Clay Helton out of the spotlight, i.e. only having a press conference once a week, was the right move this spring? No, I don't, it's weird. It's just weird to me. Like, if you're going to have open practices and the media can watch and stuff, and then be like, well, okay. Okay, well, Stephen Carr and Vi Malapai haven't been here three practices in a row. You got to wait till that third practice to find out why. It's just weird. Like, I don't. Is it is seven minutes out of his time? That I mean, if there that's seven minutes, three times a week. If twenty one minutes or twenty five minutes is is too valuable of time that he needs to be doing something else, that then I want to know what the hell he's spending that twenty five minutes on. Wow, you're spicy about this. It doesn't make any sense. Why would your head coach, why would the face of your program not speak? Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Are you rehabbing his 
public perception, if you take him out of the spotlight a little bit, let Graham Harrell and the new offense and, and new things of practice speak more for USC football than Clay Helton. That's just weird to me. Like, do you need to rehab a, a CEO of a company? Sometimes like, you do. Don't let him speak to anybody. Sometimes you do. Then usually they shouldn't be the CEO then. If they're the reason why your company is going down, that's that's the whole thing. Is like the the face of the company should always be the person in front. If your athletic department is involved in an admissions scandal that includes athletic department people, the leader of the athletic department probably should get out in front of it and speak. No, it will go four days with Lynn Swan telling people he won't talk. That's just it doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's a smart PR move. Not I didn't take PR classes, so maybe I'm in the wrong here. But it just seems weird to me. It seems like a, a weird thing to do. I just don't like the. I think the public perception is that you're hiding the person. Then I think you're hiding Lynn Swan from talking about the mission scandal. Okay, I think you're hiding on. Clay Helton from talking about the football team. I think that's Clay what it, that's. I think that's the public perception of it. I think Clay and Swan are two different issues, though. I, from a media standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I don't like talking to Clay once a week. We don't get to, like, people fight for questions so much. We don't, haven't gotten an injury update because there's so many questions on Saturday. We don't even know what's up with Jude Wolf or whatnot, you know? So I don't like that. But as far as letting people, letting the football speak for USC right now, I think it did help in that sense. We're not having as many, like, quote unquote, Clayisms where he's saying, love of my life, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, I think in a way that helped. But I think. Talking to Clay and getting as much information about this team, what they're doing, the direction they're going in, because it seems like a positive direction, I think that would help. I said beforehand, I said on Tunnel Vision, I think it's a, a defensive move. I think it shows their hand a little bit too much of where they think they are at as far as Clay Hilton in his hot seat. But I'm kind of wishy-washy on where I feel fall on this. I just think it's weird. You made that clear. Weird. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> to our final agree-disagree, and we've talked about this, we've hinted about this throughout this podcast, our expectations are low, and thus we are grading USC's progress on a curve. Um, I disagree? I don't think I'm grading on a curve. I just think you're comparing last year's team. Meaning, that, and that's my point, if we were comparing this team in a vacuum compared to other teams, would we be as pleased as we are with what we're seeing? versus comparing it to last year? It's hard because you, you're you're discouraged by recency bias because it's hard to compare the current team to, you know, Pete Carroll's teams when they were installing an offense because I don't have that comparative analysis for myself. I don't know. Um, Ryan might be able to say something better about that than, than I would because he was around at that time, but it, it's hard to compare – a team, it's easier to compare a, a more recent event because it's fresher in your memory. Uh, it, I don't know that we can compare it to Alabama or anything because we don't get to see them in practice. So we can only go about what we've seen and what we remember more recently is last year's team. So I think it's partly recency bias that, that creates it than necessarily just grading on a curve. I don't, I mean, I'm still looking at the team of whether this team can be a Pac 12 championship team or not. And if they're heading in that right direction, not just are they going to be better than five and seven. Because I think it'll be better than five and seven, just by the fact that the offense is going to score at least six more points a game. Um, but I, I think that they are moving in the right direction of going towards a, a Pac-12 championship caliber team. However, there are some serious concerns with depth issues and, and some certain spots on the t- field as well. So it, it's hard for me to say that I'm grading on a curve, but I think that 
I don't think that its expectations are so flatlined that you're like, well, we're just pumping them up because they're going to be better than the last year. I think I'm still, at least me personally, I'm still looking at Pac-12 championship caliber teams. Yeah, I would agree. The thing is, it's like some people are mad that we're positive and I... Some people want to see the world bad. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I have. There's no benefit for me being positive. Like, I'm not going to BS you guys for the sake of BSing you guys. I'm just telling you what I see each practice and whatnot. So... If it seems better in this vacuum, then I'm going to say it. Whether or not, I'm, that doesn't mean that I'm saying, and thus they will be national champions next year, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that. And I think people take that leap too far. I'm just saying it looks better. Whether that transfers to fall, we'll see. But that's what I'm saying. We'll see what we see in the fall and the spring. And I mean, the, the summer and the fall and once games actually start. Shall we move to questions? Question of a question or question of questions. Got it. Yep. Yeah, it's questions. Uh, we have two questions from Jarrett. If you listen to the other Parastyle podcast, I actually stole a question from our podcast and put it on the Dan pod. Traitor, treason, if you Can't will. believe you. I know. Uh, Jarrett says... Better be glad it's your birthday. I know. Uh, he says, can you guys name and talk about a few guys that you think will make an impact next season that we have never seen on the field at the college level, with the exception of special teams? No palliers or marquee steps. That's a very complex question. Yeah, we, we had a little bit of trouble on the parasol. I mean, you've never seen on the field? That's hard to say because everyone has at least played some, unless you're going Jacob Daniel or Liam uh, Douglas. You know, like guys that haven't played at all are not probably not going to be key impact players. Usually you get a little bit of experience as a freshman or as a sophomore, and then you start working your way into a new role. Now, if you want to go somebody like Isaiah Polamau, who has not played much because of the injuries, he's played two games. A game, no, not even two games. He's played a game and a series. So I think that's a very good pick right there. I think he's a guy that can have an impact next year at the safety spot. Um, that, that's the first guy that comes to my mind. And if you want to go freshman, I've said before, I just don't think there's a lot of impact freshmen in this class except for Drake Jackson, who I think can can come in and have And I'm, I've been pleasantly surprised with Britton Allen the fact that he's playing cornerback right now instead of safety because of the numbers and you know they want to try him out at cornerback and he's a six foot one six foot two guy and he's moving well out there so I think he's a guy that could have an impact as well. Yeah, you seemed a little angry about Jared's question. You can't say never seen on the field like Jared, it's basically I'm, I'm just sorry. Then the question just becomes which freshman? No, never seen on the field. I I run the stats every game. Everyone has played a little bit. They get garbage time. So they have been on the field. Deep breaths, Shotgun. Deep breaths. Semantics are important. Can't say never. I hate it when you say that. Um, say never. My initial answer when I said this on the pod was Solomon Tuyalapupu. That's a good possibility. Yeah. If you can get on the field and That's stay healthy. That's a big That's question. A big question there. Um, I Another question from Jarrett. He says, do you guys think favoritism shown by the coaches is what's plague, plaguing the roster? I've read some of YK, Achilles Ross's, and Greg Johnson's tweets that hint that lack of opportunities is what's driving them out. Could the excuse of feeling more confident in one player than another be shrouded in favoritism? It would not be the first time this coaching staff sits the better player in favor for another. I understand Clancy's defense is complex, so part of me thinks that he's being fair, but do you guys think the staff has likes a certain type of personality or character. I think it's fair to expect these guys who are transferring to be starting for whoever they sign to. Thanks, guys. I'm feeling pretty stock neutral about next season. Shouts to stock neutral. So this is why Jared and I have issues. <laughs> First off, coming in with stock neutral. I don't come on, get out of here with Jared, that. Jared, you're automatically my favorite. No, so. you're not. Um 
So every coach has favorites. Now, your favorites should not sway your decisions. You know, we have favorites. You know, Oluwale Batiku is one of my favorites. Great kid. Oluwale Batiku wouldn't necessarily be the guy that I'd be starting in the position just because I like his backstory and I like, you know, I like the person that he is. So it, it comes down to fit for the, for the defense. And I know a lot of it comes on the defensive side, I feel like, though the biggest one was obviously Max Brown versus Sam Darnold. Um, I think that you, you're trying to win. It's not like coaches are like, you know what? I don't care if we win. I'm putting in Cam Smith because I like Cam Smith. I don't care if we win or lose, but Cam Smith's going to be in there because I just like him so much. No, that coaches know that their livelihood, uh, is based on wins and losses. They understand that they're trying to win. Now what they see in a player may be different than what the outside perspective may be. I mean, Jamel Cook had an amazing spring, but then I also heard that Jamel Cook had a couple interceptions because he was in the wrong place. And yeah, you can do that in spring when an offense is trying to put in this place and do things like that. But then when a, uh, a def or a team is game planning for you and they watch on film and you're out of place in a defense and suddenly you have a safety that's in the middle of the field when they should be the over the top guy or whatever it may be, then they scheme for that and they throw the deep touchdown. Suddenly you go, well, well, maybe Jamel Cook probably shouldn't have been in there if that was the case. I don't know exactly where he was out of place necessarily, but that's what I had heard. So you you just because you see someone making plays doesn't always mean that they're doing the right thing. Sometimes you can accidentally do the right thing. And sometimes your athleticism will carry you over, and it's enough that you should play that player anyway. anyways. Like uh, Pallier Nantiote, super aggressive. He would get out of place sometimes last year. Now, it depends on the team you're playing. Now, if you're playing a Stanford, you don't want anyone who gets out of place. Because Bryce Love would turn one small crease into suddenly it's 80 yards and he's gone. It's when he had the streak of however many games where he had at least a 60-yard run. Now, if you're playing another team where the you know the, the running back's not as explosive and you want to create some plays in the backfield, that's, that's when you have to figure out when's the right time to play guys versus not play guys and can you trust guys to, to go in and not be out of place or whatever it may be. Talano Hufunga was out of place in the uh, the – the Arizona State game, yeah. which cost them that you know that game. They had a couple of big plays that cost them in that game. That was young players being out of place. Now Clancy Pendergast would prefer having experienced players that may not have may, may not make as many uh, impact plays, but keep you from having negative impact plays. I think that's just his philosophy. And I think that's description more of, it, yeah. of an NFL philosophy: is that Bimba don't break, Bimba don't break, Bimba don't break. If you can hold him to a field goal, that's fine because there's so many more points scored in the NFL. So I think that's just his mentality, and I think the way he goes about it. And it's also an NFL mentality that you don't substitute players all the time. Now, I think that I don't know that that's the correct mentality to have in college, especially because you have guys for four years, you're trying to develop them, and it's such a time period where guys develop quickly and can develop quickly if they get more experience. So And you're recruiting. Yeah, and helping recruiting and a lot of other things. I mean, but it's a different game, and I think you have to play young guys and give them opportunities. You know, the five or six plays a game, if you can, for a Levi Jones or a Palia and Itiote, those type of guys that you expect to be impact players for you later in their careers. Even if you have veteran guys in front of them, give them that opportunity to play one series or whatever it may be. And sometimes that can be hard because you're, you know, one loss in the Pac-12 South can change your your fortunes for the entire year. You know, you lose to Colorado or you lose to Arizona or some team like that, and you're like, oh, well, you know, people are wanting to fire you now as a coach. It's hard to to do that. It's hard not to rely on 
the guys that got you there, quote unquote. But I think that you have to figure out a way to balance those things. And that's that's the hard part of coaching in college. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you like Shotgun said, you naturally have favorites. But I think those favorites tend to give you blind spots. And you can miss some guys that you should be giving an opportunity or giving some leeway to, like a Palaie, maybe giving him more reps sometimes. Um, I do know talking to some sources is that in the defensive group, sometimes if you're not in Clancy's favor or circle, it seems like it's impossible to get in because thus you get less opportunities, less opportunities to be with a better group to show that you have better talent. You know, it's kind of a cycle where, I mean, if you've been on a team, you know how it goes. If you're just not in it, it's hard to get into that higher rank. So I think some of those guys feel that way and it can be frustrating for them. Um, But I think also another side to it is that Clancy expects a professional level brought each day and so some guys are caught up in school or caught up in other things and you're not going to be in the the film room as much as you need to be you're not going to be as mentally ready each day that Clancy expects so I think there's there's a lot of things going on there um but I think there is truth to some favoritism but how much is there how much should be there I don't know there's different ways to go about it but that's also what we talked about earlier with having a dynamic of a coaching staff. If yeah. you have multiple guys, that's the best staffs, the best coaching uh, co- head coaches find a way to do all those things combined together. Yeah, completely agree. And it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy task. Uh, we have a question from Anthony in LA. He says, hi, Keely and shotgun. The O line is what separates a good team from a great team. I know it's too early, but who do you hope to end up with at those positions? I would have my starting five be Austin Jackson tackle Nilon at guard. Dietrich at center, Elijah Vera Tucker at guard, and Jalen McKenzie at tackle as group one, with Clayton Bradley, Voorhees, and Shermer as the first ones up for breaks or injuries. Side note, who trains as the third center currently because history has shown us we need to go there sometimes? So, so far, I would say Voorhees has been better than Dietrich, in my personal opinion. When I, now, I haven't watched a ton of the offensive line one-on-ones. Chris has been tracking those. If you guys want to go through and you know, put them in a spreadsheet and figure out who's being beat, who's winning most of their reps, go for it. But when I've watched, Voorhees has been better than Dietrich in just the one-on-ones in certain situations. Who trains is – so I would have him. I would have what they have the starting group right now, and I think the experience that Voorhees has there, I think he's going to take another step, You know, especially with the back injuries not bothering him as it was sometimes last year. So I think I would have the starting five they have right now. That's what I would go with because, again, we talked about how there's been that big drop-off between first team and second team. So Dietrich is part of that second team, so he gets lumped into that even if you know he's doing his job individually. The third center, we did see Gino Quinones doing some snapping yesterday uh, at one point. So I did see Andrew Voorhees snap at one point. So the thing is, a lot of times you'll see your guards snap, you know, all of them. So Jordan Austin used to do some tra- uh, some training there and stuff because you you got to have that emergency guy yep it's like it's like the angels just recently david fletcher from lmu just down the street uh he's been the the emergency catcher for them and he got his own gear and everything he was super excited about it but you got to have an emergency catcher you got to have an emergency center those are two positions that you know that are kind of niche positions but you got to have them it's kind of like having the emergency kicker or punter or whatever it may be because you're eventually going to have to run into it you need to have it uh just in case something Bad happens where you have two or three injuries and stuff. So, but I think that, that they've gotten a couple of different guys that have been training at that. Uh, if Shermer comes back, I think that's a guy you could train there as, as well. Voorhees, Vera Tucker. 
I would not be surprised any of those guys. McKenzie, you could have him in there just because. But the question is, can they get guys to back up that first group? Can you get Clayton Bradley healthy? Can you get Shermer healthy? You know, get those guys out there and, and helping out. Yeah, I would agree with Shotgun's assessment. We have one final question from our buddy Michael Castillo. He tweeted at us, has the uscfootball.com team ever considered going on Family Feud, the actual show, not our show? He says, and if you did, who would do Fast Money? I think I obviously would do Fast Money. Why? Because I'm fast and I'm straight money. Straight cash, homie. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, One, I think we should. <laughs> Two. It's five people, right? Is it five or six? I feel like I'm looking at Ryan Abraham because he's been on the game show before. That's true. Yeah, he's. he's I think it's five people, so that means we'd have to leave somebody off. Dan gets the boot. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> it's Dan or Gerard really are the two question marks. Because you would have. It's popular based on popular opinion. True. 100 people were polled. Gerard's going to have like the weird, obscure YouTube <laughs> reference. Whereas like Dan's going to have like an older mindset reference. Maybe then that's good. Uh, who knows? It depends on the hundred people that are being. I should be fast money. Me I have you? watched a lot of Family Feud. We, we are the Family Feud podcast. So obviously True. it's us. Obviously yeah. it's us. Yeah, that's a good answer. We're doing fast money. Good answer. Who good goes answer. first, me or you? You, because. Because I'm going to get all the ones. No, because I'm smarter that I can outthink <laughs> you. How about that? <laughs> Hey, sure. <laughs> it's true. We have a couple other uh, Twitter questions as well. Oh. Uh, we'll do real quick, though. Do the QBs look any better this year? I think it's different. I don't know if we would say better yet because it's still spring ball. Do you agree with that assessment? Or do you want to say they're better? I, I'm going to go the other way. I think I expected more out of the QBs so far. Wow. Granted, it's a new system, but I just think no one's really had that spark so far. Hmm. There's been some spots of it. Spotty spark. Spotty Sparks. Okay. All right. But that's one way to look at it. I think it's 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 hard to tell because it's a new offense. Last year, the quarterbacks knew what they were getting into when they came in, besides JT. And JT looked really good in the fall. So who knows? Douglas asks, Shotgun, could you please draft a contract for Keeley in which she vows eternal, I don't know what this word was supposed to be, but basically saying that you will not leave and go anywhere. She's so good, it wouldn't be surprising if the NFL broadcasters dangle a fat offer her way. Please. Yeah, I'm not drafting any contracts. If you want to be my agent, that's cool. <laughs> uh, two more. Oftentimes it seemed like USC was comfortable, uh, got comfortable leads only to slide late in the game and not cover the spread. Will the offense run up the score, giving USC comfortable leads enough for the third and second and third string QBs to get in and cover the spread more often? Mitchell asked. I don't think covering the spread is really important. No, it is to Ryan Abraham. It might be for Mitchell because maybe he's got some money on it. But the important part about running the score up is that the the part that's in parentheses here, enough for the second and third string quarterbacks to get in. That is important. Not just the quarterbacks, but everyone. You want to get that. This is the, the th- whole thing with uh, Jarrett's question earlier about never being on the field. And there are a couple guys that have never been on the field, partly because USC hasn't been able to blow teams out and get that extra opportunities. You want to be able to do that so that you get some playing time. Keely Ross gets an interception at uh, at. Arizona State, you know, those type of things. And there's, those are feel-good moments, too, and those are things that help team morale as well because the guys that are on the bench that are complaining about, yeah, I can't get in ever. Well, they get in and they make a great play. Now everyone's excited on the bench and, you know, you feel better. It's, it's much easier to be excited and be a part of that 105 in, invested when you get, a, you, know, you get in for half a quarter in a game rather than, hey, I've been, it's been four games and I haven't been able to play at all. Yeah. 
Mom hasn't seen me on TV again. Mom. And then uh, Kolachinsky wants to know the best hair on the team. Ooh, I love random questions like this. Right now, the two that come to my mind are Brandon Peely and Kanai Malga. If you're going to go just straight hair. Kanai was my first thought. Kanai has really long hair. Brandon Peely has great bun techniques. (laughs) (laughs) True. Like he puts them in great buns. Great bun techniques. Yeah. You should work at a sticky bun shop. <laughs> Wrong buns. Who do you think has the best hair shotgun? I, my first thought was Kanai. I don't. Jack Sears might get in there. True. If you're gonna go for like the OC boy hair. Yeah, he's got the he's got the pretty boy surfer hair. Yeah. That'd be, I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go Jack Sears. Jack Sears. Wow. Yeah. Ryan Abraham wants to point out Jay Tefela's hair. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I I I think I'm gonna go with Kanai because one that takes a lot of upkeep. I'm the only one who can speak of to that on this podcast. A lot of upkeep to have long hair. Also, it's really hot to play with long hair. <laughs> I know from experience. Ryan's given some uh, some last minute suggestions. Juliana Falonico has uh, some good braids in right now. Um, oh, true. I, I also Isaac Taylor Stewart. I'm forgetting what his he's hair got the dreads. Like. With, true. with the uh, the blonde tips. That's true. It's a good look. I'm not a big blonde tip person. I don't care. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone really long on this podcast. We should probably wrap it up. All right. You're going to cut some to stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, but still. In a couple weeks. True. That's true. We had a lot to talk about. You got married. You know, things happen. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I dropped it on this podcast. That's the only mention of your life events Mm -hmm. anyway wrapping up this podcast thank you so much to everyone who sent us questions we love answering them so make sure you get them and you can tweet to us email at us at familyfeudpod at gmail.com true and we'll try to answer as many as we can send us your stock up stock down yeah let let us know what you guys think of the spring so far yeah sounds good Alrighty, we'll be back for another podcast for the last week of spring ball if you're going out to the spring showcase yell at us yell at that shotgun stock neutral it'll make my day how about that no Alrighty. Stop trying to get people to yell at you. You just want cat calls in the middle of they're us covering cat practice. Calls. They're <laughs> they're listeners supporting our podcast, and mm. we thank you, listeners yeah. like you. It's like PBS. <laughs> Alrighty, wrapping it up. Thanks so much for listening. Sorry we went long this week. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.